Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Michelle Bose, welcome onto the How To Money podcast. It is wonderful to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. Now, we're having a little bit of a different conversation today because you've done a lot of work about helping young people, specifically young female teenagers, actually get a handle on their money and start having that conversation really early on, which I know we were just talking off air about how this often doesn't happen in schools and we kind of expect to somehow magically get that financial literacy foundations in schools, which which doesn't really happen at the moment. So it's fantastic to have you here today. And I really want to talk about both helping young people in our lives, um, whether we're a parent or a guardian or a friend or family member, um, start learning about money if they are interested in this conversation or maybe using the idea of pocket money to first jobs to explore this further or for any of my younger listeners who are keen to get started before uni or are in uni. I hope we'll have many tips and tricks from Michelle here today. So Michelle, I guess where I want to start is if someone's listening right now and they've got some younger people in their lives that they want to help with money, where are some of the best resources to start before we start unpacking all of the sort of different parts of your book? Sure. Well, I'd obviously say my book is a great resource and it is a book, as you mentioned, for teenage girls, but there's an awful lot of information in there for teenagers of any gender, very basic personal finance stuff that is really useful for anyone or in fact, anyone at all who doesn't feel like they've got a really good foundation in this area. But look, my probably go-to resource would be the Government's Money Smart website. It's always kept up to date as we probably know things constantly change in the world of money, particularly when government legislation is involved. So that's always a really good up-to-date resource. And I find that they explain things in a pretty simple way. And they even have some pages specifically for a younger audience, kids and teenagers, to put things into terms that that they can relate to. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure listeners of the podcast will know the Money Smart website. But just if people haven't heard about your book, are you able to just tell us the title? 
Absolutely. Uh, it's called Money Queens, Rule Your Money. And it is a, as you mentioned, a personal finance book or a guidebook, as we like to call it, really, a guidebook to money for teenage girls. Awesome. Okay. And now this question, I get a lot of different responses depending on who I ask and when I ask them. But when do you think it's the right age to start talking about money, either as a young person or as someone who wants to help a young person in their lives and starting that conversation? I think that kids almost can start learning about money as soon as they can start talking and understanding. I mean, to be honest, you can teach a child as young as the age of two or three the very basic lessons that money is earned at work and that money is used to pay for things like the food that they eat. And look, from there, obviously, the lessons can get more complicated and involved as kids get older. But I think starting money conversations with kids from a very young age normalizes talking about money. And a lot of people in society still have a bit of a taboo around talking about money, which I think is really unfortunate because talking is one of the key ways to build knowledge in this area. And I also think, you know, if you're approaching a conversation with, say, a teenager, a lot of parents might think or or carers might think, well, I don't know everything myself or what if I teach them the wrong things? And I think it's perfectly fine for, for you to admit that you don't know everything to your teenager. In fact, they probably find that quite refreshing. And to learn alongside with them, you know, you can also talk to them about your money experiences and the mistakes that you've made. I think, you know, you don't need to pretend to be an expert in this. Some of the most valuable lessons come from learning about the mistakes of others, in fact. And even, yeah, coming to that realisation that your your parents don't know everything about money, uh, especially because it's such a, it's been a topic we haven't spoken about for so long and it's almost something you can learn together. I don't know if you've had any of those experiences of learning with a young person about money? Absolutely. I've got two teenage daughters, which was part of the impetus for writing this book. And, you know, in the last year or two, they've both gotten their first jobs. So I've had to go right back to the beginning with them. And, you know, we've had to, how to get a tax file number, how to set up a super account in the case that they might need that, setting up bank accounts, researching what the best bank accounts are, what they should be looking for in a bank account. So we're definitely, we've been learning along together as well. Yeah, but it's nice to see that. And especially because if you're helping a young person now, it, a lot might have changed and a lot has changed in the last 20 or 30 years. So you kind of have to update and refresh your knowledge because even just online banking, just the facilities and features there have changed um, phenomenally over the last few decades. That's so true. So even people that feel like they do know a lot about money and it's interesting, you know, I've spoken to quite a lot of parents who are, you know, in in really good jobs, some of them even work in finance. But when it comes to this really basic stuff, they're like, I am a bit lost. I am a bit confused about what to tell my teenager because so much has changed. Yeah. And if we want to dive into a few of these topics in a bit more detail, so I, I guess if I put myself in 15-year-old Kate's shoes, uh, when I was just getting my first part-time job, my uh, $10 an hour cash in hand at the local Indian restaurant, and I really didn't know much apart from having my uh, bank account set up from one of the uh, will-not-be-named school banking programs, I didn't really know what I was doing with my money. I just knew that if I had more of it, I could buy more things and go out with friends more. So what would you, I guess, what would you start with, with 15-year-old Kate who just got her first part-time job and doesn't really know what to do with their money? Sure. Well, I'd probably teach 15-year-old Kate the difference between needs and wants 
as a very basic and fundamental lesson. And this is something I think kids should probably learn before the age of about 10, to be honest. So understanding the difference there, what is a need, what is a want, and that spending money on needs must always come ahead of spending money on wants. Really good and very important lesson. And then I teach Kate how to make a budget, you know, so that she doesn't just have this money sitting around that she sort of feels free to spend on whatever she wants. And she should probably consider her goals for the future and if she's got any savings goals and then look at, you know, how she can allocate or how much she wants to allocate to saving each week for whatever it is that she's saving up for. Even if she's not saving up for anything, because really saving up for something is just delayed spending. I'd teach Kate the importance of just saving for saving's sake because it's such an important habit. And if she learns it when she's 15 and can do it when she's 15, when she's 25 or 30 and has some major things in life that she wants to be saving for, she'll have a really good foundation in how to do it. So I think, you know, budgeting, how to save, the difference between needs and wants. And the other important one, I think, is tracking her spending. So if Kate is prone to spending some money, and particularly if she has a tap and go card, she might get to the end of the month and be like, well, where did all my money go? What did I buy? I've, you know, I've, I've worked and I've got nothing to show for it. So, you know, I encourage my own kids and I encourage readers of the book to keep a money diary and they can either be, this could be a physical notebook or it could be on a, a spreadsheet program. There's some free downloadables on my website, actually. This is just where you write down every single transaction and the value of it and you assign it a category. I mean, there are apps that can also do this for older people. Your bank account might automatically do this for you, actually, your banking app. And then Kate can, at the end of the month, she can look at what she spent. She can look at it by category and she might realize that she's like spending 90% of her money on, you know, snacks and food. And she might go, well, hang on a minute. (laughs) If I want to be able to afford that concert ticket or save up for a car or whatever it is, I might need to cut back there. So I think having an understanding of where her money's going would be really important. Yeah. And so you've mentioned a few things there and I might start if we can unpack the needs versus wants to start with, because as a young person, often everything feels like a need. So where would you start with in trying to figure out what is a need and what is a want and how do you look at that? Yeah, absolutely. I had this question from another parent in the past too, interestingly, who said that, you know, their 10-year-old just sees everything as a need. And so take something for like clothing, for example. Now, clothing is a need, but the latest Nike sneakers are not a need. They are a want. So, you know, a a decent pair of shoes that you can run in and protect your feet while playing sport, yes, a need if, you know, for most, most kids. So I think it's really about breaking it down like that and saying, well, You can't just say the Nike sneakers are a need because they fall into the category of clothing, which we all need. So it's about really looking at things like that. I mean, the other interesting one I think is something like, you know, the mobile phone plan or mobile phones for teenagers. Now they would say that's a need and perhaps some parents would too. So values do change in this area. You know, a lot of parents, there's a whole safety and security and communication aspects that comes with your teenager having a mobile phone. So Again, like many things in the world of money, needs and wants aren't stagnant and needs aren't as basic as food, shelter, clothing anymore. But I guess it's about, you know, is having $100 of data plan a month a need or a want for teenager versus, you know, a $20 
data plan that's just going to tick those basic boxes. So I think there are examples and comparisons you can draw. And I think that kids do learn really well by examples. So if you can couch it in real life terms for them, you can help to help them to see the difference. And sometimes it does happen with age and just growing up, because I know many things that I thought were a need back then. Now I've realized they were in fact a want. <laughs> yeah. So it t- sometimes just time gives perspective as well there. Yeah, that is very true. And what about setting goals? Because I know school always tells us to set smart goals and they try to get us to set goals about how we want to do at school or maybe with our local sports team or things like that. But if we're thinking about setting ourselves some financial goals, how would you break that down maybe into short, medium or long term? And how would you start working towards them? Especially if you're only maybe getting a hundred or so dollars a week in your part-time job income. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that schools do teach us to set goals in other areas that may not be financial actually gives people a really good grounding in how goal setting works because that smart system that you mentioned is actually really useful to apply to money goals. So, I would say the fundamental place to start with a savings goal is to research what it is that you want, what it costs, and what sort of deadline you're looking at. So say it's 15-year-old Kate and she wants to buy a car when she's 18. You know, she probably needs to do some research into the value and costs of used cars and then look at um, how long she's got and then how much she earns and then she can sort of work out what might be a reasonable amount of money to save each week or month or fortnight, depending on her pay cycle, to work towards that. So a lot of people use a savings rule, which can be really helpful and a helpful way to apportion their money. There's lots of different ones around, but the one I've sort of taken and tweaked for teenagers, and this is based on the fact that they live at home and they probably don't have much in the way of true needs spending that they need to cover unless, you know, everyone's situation is different. Some teenagers might be contributing to household bills or paying their mobile phone plan. Some might be paying sort of no actual needs um, spending themselves. But the rule that I've adapted for teens is to use 30% of their pay on needs, 30% on wants, and save 40%. For some, that could even be as high as saving 50% or 60%. So really, when you think about it, teens don't have a lot of things that they actually have to spend their money on if they're living at home. And therefore, there's no reason that they can't be saving a lot of money. Although I do sort of subscribe to the idea of everything in moderation. So telling a teenager that because they have no actual expenses, they should be saving 100% of every pay isn't going to work. You know, everyone needs to have a little bit of money that they can use to spend and on those sort of everyday, day-to-day want items and give themselves, you know, building in little rewards along the way. Another way I think is really good for teenagers to save and for parents to help teach them is about building in rewards. So perhaps you could say, well, when your savings get to $500, I'll give you $100 towards it or that kind of, some people will do savings matching. You know, if you save $1,000, we'll give you $1,000. Not everyone's going to be in a financial position to do that. But that kind of reward-based system is something that teenagers respond to because it's sort of that instant gratification. They can see a, ta- you know, it, it, it can be really hard to save for three or four years for a car. That's a really long time for a teenager. And so if there are shorter milestones along the way that you can help them build in, that, you know, you can say you'll contribute a certain amount when they hit certain milestones, that can be a really um, positive way of helping keep their savings on track. 
I think one of the other important things is letting kids make mistakes with their savings goals as well, because I remember I would say, oh, I want to save for this thing. And then I'd go out and spend the money on something else. And then it would come to the hard realization that I could not in fact buy this thing because I'd spent the money on along the way. And I think that was a, a good lesson to learn earlier on that you do have to take some personal responsibility when it comes to your money and you can choose to spend it right now, but it just might mean you don't get the thing you were saving for. That's very true. And I think the very key and important thing there is for a parent not to bail their kids out in that situation. So, you know, resist the temptation to say, oh, it's okay, I'll just buy it for you or whatever, because you're right. I mean, as adults, we learn a lot more probably from our mistakes than we do from our successes and and kids are no different. So you do have to let them fail sometimes. Yeah, I guess in that instance, it might be uh, the way you might be able to help them is, okay, well, we'll look at resetting this goal and help you put a plan in place to actually still achieve it maybe just a year later if it's something like a car and it did require quite a lot of savings. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent idea too. Yeah, and what about, you mentioned budgeting before and I do not think I probably touched a budget until well after high school, but do you, using that savings method you talked about with splitting up the the spend, the needs, the wants and the saving, how would you think about a budget? Because if you don't have many uh if you're not paying for rent and electricity, um, the budget probably looks a little bit different for a young person. That's really true. And it's actually why I think it's important for parents to give their children some responsibilities for things that they have to pay for themselves, particularly if they've got a part-time job. It doesn't have to be a huge amount, but it does help to instill that idea that there are certain financial obligations that you have. But I actually think, you know, budgeting should be introduced way back in the pocket money stage. There's no reason not to ask your eight-year-old to set up a very basic or help them set up, I should say, a very basic budget for their $8 of pocket money per week, say. Um, and that could be as simple as as deciding that they're going to save $4 of it and keep $4 of it for spending. It's not going to be a sophisticated budget. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's about understanding that a budget is just a plan for your money and instilling the habit of budgeting from as young an age as possible. So, you know, for teenagers, when they get to the point of their first job, you might say, okay, well, you have to pay for one tuck shop or canteen lunch a week and you have to pay for your mobile phone data, for example. Might be might be two costs that aren't huge that you can put onto them. And then, you know, what they're going to, if they don't have that money, they're going to experience the consequences of, say, not having their mobile phone for a month, with, which, let me tell you, would be a very excellent lesson for most teens. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine not having my mobile phone for a month now. So it's probably even worse as a teenager. And what about in terms of first jobs and thinking about how you're putting that money aside? Do you have any tips for young people who need to set up their first transaction and savings account and what they should be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a number of accounts on the market that are marketed as youth accounts or sort of pre accounts, I wouldn't necessarily be sucked into the lure of that marketing. I think it's really important to use, say, a, a comparison website or something to compare a range of accounts side by side. When you're a young person, you should be looking for a no-fee account or at least a very, very low-fee account as um, your everyday transaction account. And you should open a savings account, obviously, at the same time as you open a transaction account. And 
you know, you could open, there are a few options there. You could open multiple savings accounts. So you have different accounts for different savings goals that you might have. Or there are accounts now that you can get that allow you to then open sub accounts underneath, which you can then use for different savings goals. I think it's really important when a teen is opening a savings account that you teach them to look at the fine print. And let's face it, none of us are great at looking at the fine print, but it is important because often a savings account will have, you know, minimum or maximum account balances that are required to earn a certain level of interest, for example, or a minimum deposit that's required each month to attain the interest, things like that. Obviously, with a savings account, they are looking for the highest interest rate they can get, which probably isn't very high, but maybe edging up slightly in the the kind of new financial world we find ourselves in with interest rates at the cash level increasing. So I think those are, are two fundamental things. And then beyond that, I guess it would be to look at the banking app that comes with the account and whether that's going to be something that they can use and is sort of fit for their needs. And perhaps whether the account comes with a card, what kind of card and is that card going to be fit for their needs again? Yeah, I know it's so important to look at that fine print because something can have a really nice interest rate or in comparison, but if it has, you have to make five transactions and your balance has to go up and you have to have money deposited into the account, some of those for a young person might be harder to hit those restrictions. So um, you might have to look at a different option that's more suitable. And what about something I struggle with, and even as an adult, I struggle with is finding like a really healthy balance between short-term spending and the things I want to do now. I want to go out for dinner with friends. I want to go to that concert versus saving up for longer-term goals versus um, giving money to others um, and donating to charities. And uh, I think you have to start learning about that balance early on because it it is hard and it, it does take time to sort of figure out how to fit all that together. Look, I totally agree. And it can be where you can come back to that savings rule, the needs and wants or the spending saving, and you can add a give component to that. With my 10-year-old son who gets paid pocket money, he gets paid his pocket money in cash, and we can have a conversation why I think that's really important. But, um, you know, he has to choose a charity that he wants to give money to and, and set aside a certain amount of money to give each week that he gets his pocket money. So that's one of the ways I'm sort of training him, if you like, to apportion his money. So in a sense, he's creating a but he has a budget and therefore he he decides what he wants to send, spend, save and give each pocket money cycle. Yeah, I know it's a that's probably a good way to start with. I just I just always know it's hard to balance that short and medium and long-term goals, even, even as an adult who has a little bit of experience with money now. Yes, I think a lot of it comes back to personality. You could try and build in some rewards for yourself for hitting certain goal milestones. You might be one of those people that responds really well to rewards. So, okay, if I hit my savings goal this month, I'll let myself go out for dinner you know, and that might affect your savings goal next month, but it gives you, you know, maybe every second month you can do that. So it's sort of an up and down. I think rewards can be really useful. And I actually think a lot of this comes back to our personalities and the way our personalities impact the way we feel about and spend money. So like a money mindset or a money personality you would have heard of. And I think being really conscious of how you are as with money can actually, it's not an excuse to be used for you to say, oh, I'm terrible, you know, or I'm frivolous with my spending or whatever. It's more like I am aware that I have that inclination. Therefore, I have to work harder or I have to be stricter with myself in that area 
So yeah, well, while we're on the topic of money personalities, I know you had a quiz in your book, but what do you sort of break the key money personalities into and how could that help us better understand our spending? Yeah, so the ones that I've listed in my book is um, a splashy splurger, a savvy spender, a super saver, and a stingy squirrel. And I think um, there's obviously some alliteration going on there. But just to give you some context on what they sort of mean, the splashy splurger is someone who, you know, we all know them. They spend money really impulsively. It seems to flow out almost as quickly, sometimes more quickly in the case of credit than it flows in. And they're that friend who's always broke. The savvy spender is going to be someone who, you know, will sit and think about something. Do I really want this? Do I really need it? Maybe they'll shop around for a better deal. Maybe they'll wait for the sale to buy it then. So they're just a little bit more considered. They're still spending money on the things they want, but they're thinking a bit more about it rather than being really impulsive about it, you know, waiting 24 hours before purchasing, that sort of thing. The super saver is probably somebody who will forego the cheap purchases to save up for those long-term goals. And if they do need to make or want to make other purchases, they might look for secondhand items or they might save up and buy something. And um, there are people out there who, and I'm actually one of them, I get a real thrill from seeing my bank balance grow. So when I log in and I'm like, woo, I've got that much money, I'm like, that's that's more exciting to me than going out and shopping for some, you know, fancy handbag. Like I actually love seeing my balance accumulate. And now the stingy squirrel, this one seems a bit unfair, I think, but we do know these people and they do exist. And these are people who actually just will say no, will be quite happy to miss out on the activity and you know, that that they just want to see that bank balance go up and up and up. And I think the key here is to find a balance between these personalities. So again, it's that that being aware of your personality and perhaps, you know, looking at how you can counter it in certain ways. So maybe the stingy squirrel shouldn't be quite so stingy. Maybe they should uh, say yes a little bit more and have a bit more fun with their money, whereas maybe the splashy splosure should be having a bit less fun with their money. I think the 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 happy ground lies in the middle there. And I think all the things that we mentioned that the savvy spender and the super saver do, like buying secondhand, saving up rather than buying on credit, waiting for the sale, shopping around for the best deal, they are all just things that make really good financial sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that most things in life, it it is a balance of all those things. And you do want to, especially because money's so tied to who we are and how we interact in social settings. So it is important to find a balance, especially like when you're in your part-time job, you might meet people who want to go and um, go out for lunch after the shift, and then you might end up spending most of the money you just made. So it's it's about finding a balance and other solutions potentially to just going out and spending money every time, uh, especially when you were friends. Maybe it's a picnic or a walk or it's a coffee instead of lunch. I think you raise a really good point there about influences on our money decisions. So, you know, we've talked about our personality and what impact that can have, but I think we need to, especially for teenagers, talk about some of the wider influences. And, you know, you bring up friends, that's a really good one because teenagers are very tribal. They all want to be wearing the same clothes and doing the same things. And it's part of that, you know, um, discovering identity, I suppose. And, you know, they're going to have different amounts of money between their friendship groups. Some people might be working part-time jobs and might have more money. Others might get no pocket money and just have no money ever. And so I think it is like you say, you know, finding solutions and ways to socialize that don't exclude anyone from the group. But 
it's also about, I guess, encouraging your teen to be their own person and to try and sometimes resist that temptation to be so tribal. So you point out, you know, if they're all going out for lunch after work, you know, you've got to give your teen the courage and the strength of character within themselves and the self-esteem to say, actually, I'm not going to come which can be really difficult. And I think the other thing that you need to acknowledge is the influence that you as their parent or carer has on their money decisions and how they view money. So whether you're teaching them explicitly about money or not, you are teaching them unconsciously and they are picking up lessons from you all the time. So you do it this age, and I would say even younger than a teenager, just need to be careful about how you talk about money around your kids. If you argue about it in your relationship or you talk about it as being really tight or, or something that is stressful, your kids are going to grow up with this sort of anxiety around money that it's it's difficult, it's stressful, it's a, course, it's a source of, um, of stress. And I think that is not the lesson that you want them to learn, even if it may be your reality sometimes. And it's also about how you use money in front of your kids. You know, if you're out shopping and they're with you, you can say, well, I'm spending you know, this and I'm buying it on my debit card because I've saved up and I've got the money in there. So things like if you're constantly buying new things yourself, if you're putting everything on credit, they are going to notice, particularly when they're teenagers. So we need to think about our own behaviour. And I think the other area for teenagers in terms of influences that's really interesting and important to talk about is social media because, you know, they are on there and they are looking at people living their best lives, not their real lives, which as we as adults might be able to see that a bit more clearly. But if a teenager is looking at someone that seems to be, you know, have everything, doing everything, and they're, they're teenagers themselves, these people, or they're in their early 20s and, you know, it's a very aspirational lifestyle, it can be hard for a teenager to look at that and go, well, that's not normal or just because that person's doing it, I don't have to be the same. And I think the other thing around the internet and social media there to be aware of is whether your teen knows what sponsored posts are and branded content and the understanding that some influencers might be getting things for free in return for promotion or might be making a cut of affiliate sales and that, you know, a lot of those things that they're seeing are really just ads trying to sell them things. A lot of new things to sort of think about when you're talking to young people about money that weren't really the same maybe 20, 30 years ago. And um, you mentioned before about cash pocket money, and it did make me think that money used to be a lot more visible and tangible. Like you could, if you had $100 saved, you could hold that $100 in your hand and you know knew exactly how much you had. But now when things get purchased on, I just pay for things on my watch now. And it's very, I think it'd be a lot harder as a young person to actually understand the concept of money when you, you can't see it. I completely agree. And it's why I'm a really strong advocate of paying pocket money in cash, at least until they hit about the age of 10 or 12, to give them some basic understanding of of physically seeing money accumulate as they save it, if that's like a stack of coins in a money box or a bunch of notes in an envelope or whatever it may be. Um, and then that feeling of going into a shop and handing over, you know, a, a stack of money that they've saved really hard and and you know the the loss I guess of handing that over but then the return of getting the item that they're purchasing and I think it's really important because as you say in this tap and go e-money world if kids have never known physical money then it is much harder for them to really understand the value of things and to not be kind of I, I think more spendy to be perfectly honest. 
I think it does make it a lot easier to spend when it's that that easy to tap because you don't have that direct, I'm giving you my $100 note for these shoes. It's just, bam, the money's gone. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time because more and more stores are just going card only and there's less cash going around. So maybe in 10 years' time, you have to create your own fake money to teach kids about money. I'm not sure. Look, maybe. It'll be, I agree, very interesting to see how it how it evolves in that area. Michelle, now before we wrap up today's episode of the How To Money podcast, I was wondering if there's any last minute things you want to share with my listeners about kids and money. Yeah, look, uh, I think maybe some of your listeners might be wondering at this point, you know, we've referenced my book a few times, why I wrote a book for teenage girls in particular. And as I've explained, the book could be useful definitely for any teenagers. But I chose girls as the audience for this book in particular because I wanted to try and tackle some of the gender financial issues that women face right from the very beginning. So, And I think that if teenage girls learn about issues like the gender pay gap, the gender retirement gap, and the potential to be a victim of financial abuse, way before that stuff starts to affect them, then it puts them in a stronger position when they get into their 20s to make really conscious decisions that may impact them around this area. So, for example, you know, your 20s and 30s are the very best time to be contributing to your super extra money if you can afford to do so. But what 20-year-old knows that? (laughs) So, if they learn that in their teens, hopefully that's a lesson they can carry forward and it might actually prevent them from retiring with less money than a man one day. You know, when it comes to the gender pay gap, I think there's a lot of misinformation around what it is and what the reasons behind it are. So we unpack all of that in the book and we look at, you know, strategies that girls can use in different situations, whether that's, you know, trying to get a more equitable balance of caregiving and working in their future relationship one day or pushing for change if they end up working in a traditional pink area or pink industry that pays less than, say, a a traditional blue job. So, you know, we're tackling all of these things. I think financial abuse is the other area I mentioned and the statistics bear that women are twice as likely to be victims than men and that young women who don't have financial knowledge are actually a particularly at-risk group. So it's about understanding what financial abuse actually looks like and then some strategies to use to avoid finding yourself in that situation. Well, Michelle, there's a lot of valuable resources in your book and I've had a good look through and there's uh, a lot of graphics and really helpful breakdowns. So um, I know even as someone in my 20s, I love a good image. So if people want to get their hands on a copy of Money Queens, I'm presuming it's in all major bookstores? Yeah, it certainly is. It's also online at Booktopia or at my website, moneyqueens.com.au. There's a click-through link to buy the book there as well as those free downloadable resources I mentioned around budgeting, saving and tracking spending. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes. And Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing some of your knowledge and some things from your wonderful new book, Money Queens. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.